0: and welcome to a Thursday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Repay. He's Chris Stanzial. Chris, mm. what a game, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is that is by far the stupidest game I've ever watched. <laughs> it, and was leave like, it to the ball. <laughs> yeah, it was like, oh, you don't want to win? Oh, we don't want to win either. <laughs> oh, okay, well, we'll take it.
1: <laughs> yeah, a real a real battle of the wits, I must say. God, man, you are right, though. Like, no one wanted to take control of that game. And when it did seem like someone took control, it was like, okay, we can rest on our laurels a bit. And it just went to absolute crap after that. My
0: God. Yeah, that was definitely one of the more confusing games to watch this year. I was glad that they pulled out with a win. I mean, you know, you never want to – I want to lose to DePaul, obviously, but – Yeah. DePaul has been knocking on the door these last couple years when it comes to playing at the Pavilion. Mm -hmm. They certainly have. I mean, we
1: mentioned the last show that they gave him fits last year. I mean, I think even a couple years before that, they gave him trouble. And I I think that's just the way. But this game, it seems like this is the epitome of the Paul right now. But we'll we'll talk about that uh, when we analyze the game a bit.
0: Yeah, they're certainly cursed. And before we just kind of rack our brains a little bit, I just want to talk about some good news that came out on Tuesday, shortly after we came off the air. They got got a little press release from Mike Sheridan. And it turns out they're going to be retiring two more jerseys. And uh, they're going to be retiring two more jerseys next month. And it belongs to a couple of point guard goats with Ryan Archie Diacono and Kyle Lowry both getting their jerseys retired. Big shout outs to them. For Arch, he's going to have his number 15 retired or his number 15 jersey, I should say. They don't truly retire the number, the jersey retired during the February 12 Marquette game. And then as for Kyle Lowry, his will be during halftime of the St. John's game at the end of the month on February 26th. Chris, two iconic point guards of the Jay Wright era. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of opinions on this. (laughs) What is yours?
1: All right. Well, let's start with, I'd say, the less controversial one, in my opinion, and that would be Kyle Lowry. I mean, look, we were kind of speculating – when we were talking about Alan Ray's Jersey retirement, and we were like, who's next? And we were like, oh, probably Kyle Lowry. And we were like, oh, well, you know, he didn't play, he didn't play four years at Villanova, but he did play really well the two years he was there, and he's, he's really made a name for himself in the NBA, and that's more so maybe why they would probably go with it. But I'm, I have no qualms with it whatsoever. He was the point guard on that 5 06 team, probably one of the best teams Jay Wright's ever assembled. I have no problem with it whatsoever. Ryan Archidiacno. All right, look, love him. He symbolizes the turnaround of this program, if we're being honest. And you know what? Maybe that is enough to warrant his jersey retirement. But between his play on the court for the first three years, which was okay. Junior year arch was much better than freshman and sophomore year arch. He did hit some big shots for sure, especially freshman and sophomore year. And then senior year, he did take off. I'll give him that, especially in the tournament. Me and you have discussed that ad nauseum, how great he was in that tournament. But I think my problem with it is that he's? it's so close to him leaving the school. It's only been four years. When I think like Alan Ray, I thought he had much better stats than Arch and he had to wait, what what was it like 15 years for it to get retired? I don't really have a problem with the Jersey retirement in and of itself. I think it's just so close. I feel like it's almost like you kind of reserve that for like someone who like, was really, really freaking good over a long stretch of time.
0: But I, I don't know. I'm kind of 50-50 on it. What, what do you have to say? Kyle Lowry getting it is definitely deserving. I know that some people think, oh, he didn't go all four years. Or, yeah, you know, he was solid when he was at Villanova, but his best basketball really came when he was in the NBA. But I think Kyle Lowry, you know, he's one of the more recognizable Villanova basketball players just because of his NBA success, and he is a champion. He's got a gold medal. He did have a solid two years at Nova, like not taking that away from him. But I feel like he's still a great figurehead. Like, yeah, you know, the relationship was a little rocky in the beginning, but he emerged to be one of the more important players in Villanova history, along with him, Randy Foy, Alan Ray. So it was pretty deserving on that respect. He's still very involved with the program, still you know, works out with the team, hangs out with the team still actively publicly roots for the team. He's doing interviews and he has the game on in the back and he's like, I'm sorry, but I just have to cheer for this play right here. I really don't see a problem with it. And also because it's important to also recognize one of your more successful products to come out of Villanova in terms of professional success. As for Arch, I definitely think he, I think he's deserving. I think if you look at the numbers, you look at what he's done, the play he's made and what he's meant to the program, he's definitely deserving. Now, is it too soon?
1: See, that's my yeah,
0: yes, it, it's not even four years. Like, we legit graduated with him
1: mm-hmm.
0: like four years ago in May, so right now it's like three and a half years,
1: right?
0: Like, I would understand if they wanted to retire Jalen Brunson, I'd be mm-hmm. like, All right, yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> that's like that probably sense. the best point guard villanova's has ever seen in terms of stats, in terms of accolades, in terms of what he's accomplished, in terms of what he meant. Like, yeah, I could see that. But my biggest question is, yo, what about Scotty? What about Scotty? Yo, where's his yeah. <laughs> love? Over two thousand points. He also had his iconic moment, one of the more famous shots, probably now got bumped down because of the Chris Jenkins one. But that two thousand nine coast to coast play in the lead eight, that was huge. That was huge. Yeah,
1: he was. And he was an AP all American his senior year. Uh, that was like something that was like unprecedented for like Villanova at the time.
0: Yeah, and arch deserves it for sure, but I just feel like yeah. we we gotta wait a little bit here. You know, there's there's a cue here. Like, why did Jim Washington have to wait like 50 years? I would like to see Scotty next, at least.
1: Yeah, and that that's my problem with it. It's it's the fact that I don't know. Not not that there's more deserving players in front of them, but there's just equally as deserving players in front of them in the whole grand scheme of things. And and then that's why. And I, I look like I said before. I understand what he means to this program. He is the face of the turnaround. He is the face of the 1560 national championship team, if we're being honest, he's he's what he stands for and what he did. It epitomizes all the Villanova cliches that everybody loves to talk about. And, you know, me and you like making fun of those every so often, but you know, I think there is some validity to it. So I, I do think he is deserving for that, the symbolism uh, behind him and what the, the important shots that he hit against Syracuse, against Kansas, and then the, his whole entire tournament run in 15 16, where he put it together. And, you know, I remember all those stories coming out about him uh, with his parents going the, to Villanova and all that. He's quintessential Villanova. And I guess for that, he definitely deserves it. And he did play well on the court as well, as I said. But I, I just feel like there might be even one or two more people <laughs> before he were to get one. And and that's, that's my qualm with it. It's not the on-court performance, and yeah, it's not I- – his and resume
0: is definitely yeah. good. Like, it fits yeah. everything you would want. Like, national champion, check. Biggies, regular season tournament titles, check. Over 1,600 points, over 500 assists, check. And obviously, you know, he was a winner. And he was a clutch man. I have no problem with it. Would I have liked to see, you know, a couple other guys first? Yeah. But at the end of the day, I guess the timing or the schedule, I don't really – I don't know what the – you know, we don't know what goes on in the communications department there. But – they have said before that sometimes the scheduling has gotten in the way of things. So I don't know if that's what's holding back Scotty, but we'll see. I would like to see Scotty Reynolds get his due next, though. That would be nice.
1: Yeah, him and Dante. Does Dante Cunningham have have? I don't think he does. But like uh, him and, and Dante Cunningham at the same time,
0: pretty cool. Got to hit up those '09 uh, guys with some love.
1: I mean, really, Dwayne Anderson, even Shane like Clark, that whole that whole class. I know Scotty was a year behind them, but still.
0: Oh, I'm looking at the list of retired jerseys right now, and there is no one from the '09 9 team.
1: Yeah, so get some of those guys on there too.
0: Scotty, Scotty, I mean, Scotty, really? Scotty. <laughs> I don't know.
1: I, 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 maybe something happened. I don't know. I don't know if it has anything to do with what happened th- during the 2010 tournament, but yeesh. the fact that he hasn't got his number called yet is a little little weird.
0: We'll see. Big congrats, though, to Kyle Lowry and Ryan Archidiakno. That is definitely a huge deal especially for a college that you both love very much and you guys have represented very well. Lowry taking the team back to the lead eight sweet 16, one of Jay Wright's first part of his first deep runs into the tournament. And then obviously going on to achieve success in the NBA and then Ryan Archie Diacono with what he's accomplished over his four years, over 110 wins. I think it's 117 wins national championship, big East tournament and regular season titles. And continually proving people wrong about whether or not he would have made it to the NBA because he is killing it with the Chicago Bulls, and they seem to love him a lot over there. So big shout-out to the both of them. Congrats on your Jersey retirements set to happen next month. I'm sure that's got to be a thrilling time to get that call or to get that news. Like that's got to feel pretty good. All right, so now to more, uh, a little more stressful topics. Uh, let's talk about that Villanova-DePaul game from Tuesday night. DePaul's cursed. DePaul's yeah. cursed. I, you know, I, I watched the beginning of that game, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> we are going to get smacked by the Blue Demons right now. Like, this is actually happening. What was it, like a 21-8 to start? Yep. To Blue Demons? Something insane like that, 24. No, it was 21, yeah. And then Nova rallies back, takes the lead at half, takes the lead early in the second half, gets in front, has about a double-digit lead in the closing minutes of the game, and somehow, some way, through turnovers, through mistakes, through miscues, DePaul is able to climb back into it, tie it up. Sadiq Bey has a shot to win it in regulation, misses. And then we head into overtime with the Blue Demons, where Villanova was able to come out in front, come out on top, to defeat the DePaul Blue Demons, 79-75. DePaul did not hit a shot for the last two and a half minutes. And we saw a solid game from Colin Gillespie, who was pretty big, pretty big time in the second half and in overtime. 21 points, was excellent from the free throw line with the 9 of 10 shooting. Then you had Jermaine Samuels with 15 points and six boards. Sadiq Bey had another solid game, 18 points, 4 of 8 from deep, 7 of 13 overall. Jeremiah Robinson Earl continues to eat the boards, continues to eat the glass. With a 13-point, 13-rebound, double-double. No real notable performances off the bench. Just three points for the Cats. And that just came from Justin Moore, who was one of seven overall. And then on the Paul side, Charlie Moore coming in hot with a game-high 29-point performance. Paul Reed was a double-double machine that we anticipated. And he had an impressive 18-point, 15-rebound performance. Jalen Butts added 16 points and six boards. Chris... I'm happy we got out of this alive. But what can we take away from a game like this? We're gonna take a little break from Biggie's play this weekend when we welcome the UConn Huskies. But what can we take away from this DePaul game on Tuesday night?
1: Late game execution has got to be much, much better. And I wouldn't really say like any game this year where it's been like, okay, like this was like a huge problem outside of the couple of inbounds against Kansas and I'd say Baylor late game execution was pretty horrendous but how do you turn the ball over what was it, like four or five times at the end of the game and it was all off inbounds it was all off just sloppy passing in the backcourt turnovers at half court too there was that one where I think it was Gillespie and Bay kind of like fought for the ball but then I forgot who picked it off and then drove it down for a layup and it was just like Figured it out. <laughs> I, I just don't understand what, why it's so hard to inbound the ball and to just keep possession of it. But look, it's been Villanova's problems for God knows how many years. So I, I think that's what we got to take away from this is that they got to get better in late game execution. And now that I come to think of it, there's been a couple more games that it was just been like, okay, why, why is this team hanging around? And that was actually the, our biggest problem at the beginning of the year. It was just, why are these teams hanging around? And this time, they let the ball hang around. And yeah, you know, they were down big early. And you know what? That's fine. There was a lot of ball game left. They locked down on defense. They started hitting their shots like they're supposed to. And they had a sizable lead. They had a nine point lead with two and a half minutes left in this game. And they proceeded to blow it. That's not good. That is not good. And you can't be doing that at home against the ball. And I know the ball's better this year, but you can't be doing it against the ball because other teams will take advantage of it. And the overtime effort was great, like you said. Uh, especially defensively and holding down the DePaul to not uh, not hitting anything at the end of the game, and then props to Colin for hitting some big time free throws, going nine of ten from the line on the night. Jermaine Samuels hit some couple, have uh, hit a couple at the end there to ice the game. So it was just like I don't know, it was just a stupid game, as I said earlier. I I really don't think there's much to take away offensively or defensively. I think everything kind of happened the way we were supposed uh, expected it to happen. But the late-game execution, it's got to get better. And you got to be more careful with the ball.
0: Yeah, I can't say you know everything went down the way that we expected it to. First of all, I didn't expect DePaul to come out firing like that in the beginning. Second of all, I thought once Villanova pulled ahead, I was like, okay, all right. It's just another one of those slow starts. And it uh, looks like we're going to take care of business in the second half and really put them away and shut them down. And then just letting them back into it the last couple of minutes – He had a 10-point lead. It just evaporated, and then we're heading into overtime. I was interested to see how Nova would react there, and I was glad to see that they regrouped in overtime. They were able to get the win. I thought Jeremiah Robinson Earl, obviously he's been great on the glass all season long, but he was excellent defensively in the paint. I thought he was solid. Didn't really look like Nova could stop Charlie Moore, but I thought overall as a team-wide effort, I thought it was pretty solid. It wasn't too bad, especially down the stretch. But the turnovers, that's what, that's what killed us, I think. And overall, this season, Nova, they don't really do a bad job when it comes to taking care of the ball. Like, they've been pretty clean on that end of the court, especially lately.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, lately, we've been actually kind of praising them for their ball control.
0: Yeah, entering the game on Tuesday, they were actually top 50 in terms of the lowest turnover percentages in all of D1 college basketball, which is not easy to do and Nepal was reckless with the ball themselves and that did cost Mm -hmm. them a little bit, but I just didn't expect those kinds of mistakes. I was glad that they definitely glad that they regrouped there because you Mm -hmm. don't want to lose to them, but we just haven't seen anything like that. I don't think it's going to be a part of a greater trend. Like I I really hope this is just a one-time deal, but we're going to have to wait and see.
1: Oh, for sure. I don't, I don't think this, the turnover thing is, I don't think that's going to be an epidemic uh, for the rest of the year, but we have, seen especially early on in the season where we were letting teams hang around and because of just poor execution at the end and usually it was mainly just because they weren't hitting shot and a few turnovers here and there but tuesday night was 100 percent the turnover and you did, you are right the ball actually had 17 turnovers compared to villanova's 14 but it felt a lot more than that and especially with those late ones they should count as like two three if like you're grading the film or something and like with the coaches
0: on a more positive end it was a nice game from Colin Gillespie for sure, and Sidique Bay looked real nice again. They
1: both did. I mean, Gillespie was hitting everything from beyond the arc, and so was Bay. I mean, four of eight, both of them, and that's exactly what you want. And fifty percent from your two best, uh, two of your best players, and they hit their free throws too. They only missed three on the night, and I was I was pretty impressed with that. Colin, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, was a big part in that. So yeah, and look, Jerry, he had the thirteen thirteen, but like the, f- the five turnovers was his bugaboo. And that, that's just not good.
0: Yeah, that's all. kind of been his thing all season.
1: Yeah, it's been it's been very hit or miss. And just and I know I kind of want to keep it positive, but I just want to point out, really, really bad performance by the bench.
0: Oh, yeah, three, three points is not enough. Yeah, I pegged Justin Moore to do
1: well, and it looks like my hot streak's over. Uh, one is seven from the field, one of three from deep. Now, that three was big. Because it came at the end, it was it was right around the two and a half minute mark, and it put Villanova up nine before DePaul went on the run to tie it up. So I thought that was the proverbial dagger, but uh, it wasn't meant to be, I guess. Antoine 0 of 1, Slater 0 of 1, ECR 0 of 1. Slater's only played two, Antoine only played three.
0: I um, was shocked too about that. Yeah. Like Not only was the bench like only scoring three points collectively as a unit, but then when mm-hmm. you looked at the box score, it was like, oh, wow, they... They played this few of a minutes. Yeah,
1: no, I know. And you would think later in the season, you would start working them in more. But I guess I, it looks like it's going to be a six-man rotation from here on out, I guess. I I don't know with Slater, DCR, and Antoine sprinkled in for some water breaks. Even then, it didn't even look all that impressive in their limited time. So, bench has got to be better. Lake game like, execution has got to be better. But the overarching theme is they won. And they were able yes. to buckle down in overtime, and that's at least encouraging.
0: We're gonna say it again. It's gonna be like if you have a drinking game. How many times does the announcers say, "Oh, the Big East is gonna to be tough this year"? Hmm. We're gonna to add to that. Big East is real tough this year. Real tough. Real tough. <laughs> yeah,
1: you're gonna be put in the hospital by the end of the by the under four mark. It's it's gonna be a constant theme throughout the year. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, and it's especially crazy when your last place team is looking. Real tough. Real tough. This is another single-digit loss for DePaul. Another one that they're right there, too. Right there. Yeah. Right there. Yeah.
1: We mentioned it last episode, how their three Big East losses so far
0: went exactly kind of like this, where
1: they hung around, they actually might have had a lead in all of them, and uh, they just couldn't get it done at the very end. That's the Paul for you, though.
0: And that is the Paul for you. And we're going to leave that game in the past where it belongs, because we got a big one coming up on Saturday the final game of the trilogy, the home, home, and neutral series with UConn. And it will also be the last time that we'll see them before they're a member of the Big East. And as we all know, it seems like for the most part, the UConn fans have been dying for that. And then you have a contingency that's like still delusional and is like, football, American Conference.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that fun, exciting thing. God, I watched the UConn football game once. It was not fun. Oh, boy. Was it when
0: Oof. they played Nova, or was it a different one?
1: Actually, you know what? It was. That's why I was watching UConn football. <laughs> That's the <laughs> only reason why I watched UConn football, to play Villanova. Not, not because it's are good or anything.
0: The Huskies are coming in 10-6. and six. A little bit of a rough stretch recently in conference play. They've lost three of their last four games. They're 1-3 and three in the American. Non-Con – wasn't that bad. They had a nice win against Florida, obliterated Miami. But other than that, non-con play d- doesn't seem too impressive. Chris, what can we expect from the UConn Huskies
1: this Saturday? Harp on the team a little bit. Yeah, non-con was not kind to, to UConn outside of that Florida win. They lost to Xavier in double overtime. They also lost to St. Joe's, their second game of the season. Now, I know that was a long time ago, but that's, uh, that's not good. Also lost to Indiana, who isn't all that great. Uh, so, yeah, and then they just, they're just they just coming off a double overtime loss against Wichita State. So not exactly the best of times right now to be a UConn basketball fan. So looking at the individuals for this team, Christian Vital is the main guy. Averaging 14.3 points per game right now, 6.8 boards as a guard, uh, 2.6 assists. He's the go-to guy. Uh, not exactly the most efficient scorer, though, shooting under 40% from the field and only 33%. From deep, and that's kind of the theme for UConn right now. Offense is a struggle on all in all facets, especially from deep. It's 34% as a team, not the best. And this team is known for its defense for sure. Top 50, according to Kempom, uh, overall for Kempom, they're 80th right now, which puts them right in line with along St. John's. So if you're looking for a comparable, Biggie's comparable, there it is. Also want to highlight Josh Carlton. He's averaging a tad under 10 points per game and averaging a tad under seven boards per game. And he's, there, he's the resident big man for UConn. This game, it's going to be a grind it out type thing and might even resemble the Paul game a little bit. This is, it's all defense, very little offense for UConn.
0: Seems like when Jalen Adams graduated, this UConn team was just like, oh yeah, we got we to gotta replace this guy. Christian Vital, he was always solid as one of the younger guys and it looks like he's taking the lead role but he has some nice complimentary pieces around him. Overall, this team has five different guys averaging at least nine points per game. Vital, obviously, like you said, he was leading the pack. Also got to highlight James Boonight, Alterique Gilbert, Josh Carlton, as you said. Tyler Pauly was looking like a guy that we should have watched out for, but he tore his ACL a couple days ago, so UConn will be without him. This UConn team, like you said, defense has definitely been their MO this season, and they've done a great job of holding opponents to not really doing that much and not really being that effective. They've held opponents to just 30.6% from the three-point line. They're top 40 in defending shots from inside the arc. So buckets aren't going to be easy and they do an excellent job of forcing turnovers, snatching them from opponents in over 22% of their possessions, a rate that's 47th in the country. Now, while UConn's three-point defense has been solid and the numbers are great, it is one thing to note that the teams that they've been facing and that they've been putting together these great defensive numbers against aren't exactly three-point happy teams. If you look at their season as a whole, their opponents have just taken 30% of their shots from deep, which is a very very low number compared to Nova who is trigger happy from deep. But just to put that number in perspective, almost 47% of Villanova shots have been from beyond the arc. And so Yes, UConn, you know, very solid three-point defense in terms of percentage, but they haven't really seen a team like this that is exactly trigger-happy, and I'm interested to see if, one, the Nova shots are going to continue to fall because that three-point percentage has been slowly coming back, climbing back up, and also how UConn chooses to defend it because, as we've seen in the last couple of matchups, it has been a bloodbath, and whether or not it's going to be a bloodbath to end the trilogy – I'm not sure, but I think as long as Villanova can improve from that DePaul performance where they were turning the ball over a lot, things are going to be fine. This is a team that excels at snatching the ball, generating turnovers, and Villanova can't play into their hands, can't let them do that, and we're going to have to play smart, play together, play hard, core values, shoot the three, shoot them up, don't sleep in the streets, and we'll be moving onwards and forwards in this little break from Big e's play and of course sweeping the three-year series with the Huskies, which is always nice to give them that reminder of who's the big boy in the league and how, because <laughs> they think that they're going to come back here and they're like, oh, Villanova's like keeping the seat warm for us, but now it's our time to shine. I don't know where that narrative has come from because we've smoked them the last two years and it would be great to do that a third time before they rejoin the Big East.
1: Yeah, certainly would. I, I kind of forgot that the past couple of years have just been, absolutely brutal that first one at excel that's excel center i believe it that's the name of their home arena that that was a beatdown of epic proportions and then last year was the uh, jq coming out game and then you never saw the court ever again but yeah this is a a great opportunity to see if uconn's three-point defense is for real or if it is a kind of a fluke like you were saying but we all know villanova's not going to change their game plan for that
0: i think they're just going to shoot them up and hopefully they're not sleeping in the streets
1: and I say Villanova wins by
0: twelve. I kind of feel like the blueprint is there, and we can obviously take what we've done the last couple of years. There's no Jalen Adams, which helps things out. Sure, Villanova has some new faces, but I think you know not having a dynamic guard like that definitely makes your defensive assignments a lot easier. Christian Vital and Eltire Gilbert, you know, they've looked great uh, as freshmen or as underclassmen to Adams, but It's just not the same thing, and we've seen that in Vital's numbers. Nowhere near the production that Adams was able to create. I'm interested to see the job that Villanova can do on him. Hopefully, it's not going to be like Charlie Moore. Hopefully, we see more of like what we saw with Mac McClung. Villanova has to play a clean game. Can't let UConn dictate the pace, and most definitely can't get off to a slow start like the one we saw against DePaul.
1: Right, exactly. Hopefully it's a complete game start to finish. So what's your uh, score prediction here and player of the game?
0: Nova by 12. And my player of the game will be Mr. Sadiq Bey. Ride the the wave. Ride the wave. Ride the hot hand. Ride the wave.
1: I'm going to go with JRE on this. I think he's going to have a fun task going up against Carlton. I'm sure he'll get matched up with him for most of the game. And I think he takes full advantage of it and reminds everybody why he's a five-star
0: recruit. For those of you who can't make it to the Wells Fargo Center on Saturday, this game will be on Fox Sports 1. Another Saturday, matinee tip-off, 12 p.m., sharp. Should be a good one. These games are always fun. UConn always gets up for them, even though they know that they're about to get smacked. At least that's how the last couple of years went. Well, it's that time of the day where we stop what we're doing, pop open the mailbag, and answer the questions that you, the listeners, have out there for us. As always, you can tweet us at SONNpod, and we'll answer your questions. Chris, we got a full mailbag today. After skimping out on Tuesday, we're looking Mm -hmm. locked and loaded on this fine morning. Are you ready?
1: Yeah, Yeah, our new mailman got a – he's getting broken in real quick.
0: All right. First question is from Fred Rung. Is there anyone on the bench who can earn Jay's trust enough to contribute besides more? Between foul trouble, injuries, off nights, we are going to need a jolt off the bench at some point. Now, Chris, I know you had alluded to the lack of bench production and you said that there needs to be another guy besides Moore that can score. The problem is you look at the makeup of the bench and there's a lot of situational guys. I wouldn't see DCR as a scorer, but I could see him as like grab boards or add some rim protection. And then you look at a guy like Slater, very athletic, quick, definitely better on the defensive end than he is on the offensive side. So he's probably not going to be someone you look to to score buckets. Brian Antoine, Looks like a great candidate for that in terms of adding another scoring punch besides more. But right now, it looks like he's still trying to find his way in the rotation, find his place. I was a little shocked with Jay shortening the bench big time, going six deep pretty much against the Blue Demons. It all depends on the situation. Like, I think that all four guys can be utilized in some way. Like, sometimes you're going to need more defense and you'll need offense. But I think it all starts with, I don't know, giving these guys a little more than five minutes. That we saw in the Nepal game, like, they're not going to be able to do anything. No matter, you know, you can't ask them to do anything if you're just going to put them out there for five minutes, trot them out, and then say, all right, Colin, you had your Gatorade, you can go back inside now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's kind of a shame that that they're all kind of situational right now, or viewed as situational guys right now, because I do feel like that if they do have expanded roles, they have a lot more to offer more so Slater and Antoine than DCR at this point. Um, wish they were kind of like the Power Rangers or like Transformers where they could just form up and team up and just be one super player, but uh, obviously that can't be. But I guess if we had to pick one guy to just kind of hopefully expand upon that role, I guess Slater, just because I feel like he's shown more flashes of it so far. But obviously we all know Antoine has the most potential out of those three. But I, I just – if. If they're doing this against the Paul right now, I, I I don't see Jay expanding the bench in like a tighter game against like Butler or seeing the Wall. I think he probably just rolls with those six.
0: Yeah, and we're always gonna clamor for more bench minutes, but uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's there yeah. yet, or at least yeah, well, I, I don't know if Jay feels that it's there yet.
1: I don't think so either. I mean, I feel like this is a complaint every year. <laughs> it's like, oh, we got to give more bench minutes to this guy, this guy, and that guy. But it never happens. So I think we just got to kind of accept it at this point, barring some like breakout superstar performance. And even then, I don't even know if that'll be enough to do it.
0: Yeah, it's definitely tough. And right now, it's looking like Moore is definitely your dependable scoring punch. And as we saw in the DePaul game and in these recent games, as Moore has gotten cold, the problem becomes highlighted because now it's like, oh, wow, we really don't have another scoring punch off the bench. No. Which is a shame and it's definitely a problem. But right now, the scoring punches haven't really come from anyone else yet. Like we haven't seen Antoine have like a a 20 point game or like a 15 point game where he could show that he could be a high scorer. Also, he's had limited opportunities. We definitely know that DCR and Slater aren't going to be given as big of a green light as Justin Moore per se. So this is looking like the situation we're in right now. All we can do is hope that the other three guys earn some bench minutes, make their shots when called upon. And, Hopefully Moore gets his shot back. This one is from Brendan Riley. Who would you rather see Nova schedule a home-and-home with, Duke or Kentucky? Excellent question. Yeah. Which one would you rather?
1: I'd rather Duke, honestly. I I, I just like the Jay versus Coach K thing. Not not that Calipari would be a formidable coaching opponent, but I feel like there's a lot more behind that. And also – I feel like Villanova Duke has been like trying to happen for like the past like ten years since '09. Um, it feels like every year the committee just wants Villanova and Duke to meet up somehow, some way, and it never works out that way. So why don't we just make it an official thing? Let's go with Duke. I'd like to go to Cameron Indoor. It'd be a fun time.
0: That would be a fun time. But I'm running the other way with this. I'd rather see Kentucky. There's just such there's just such opposites of each other in terms of core values, what either coach believes in, uh, how they've both attained their success. Obviously, Calipari relishes in being a pro factory, which, you know, obviously Jay would love to have the NBA talent, but he'd rather have guys around for four years. Calipari isn't afraid to say, I can't wait for the finals to be over, had to have school out of the way. So all these guys can focus on is basketball. Meanwhile, Jay is more focused on having a more well-rounded product or a more well-rounded player. And I just think it would be fun. You know, you have your one-and-dones versus the three, four-year guys. And I know it, that narrative for Jay is definitely a little overplayed where it's like, oh, Villanova can't have pros because obviously we've seen the NBA talent that's come out recently and how it looks like for the most part, everyone is succeeding. They're fighting minutes. They're, they're getting a role in the rotation for whatever team they're on right now. So I think it would be nice to just finally shut some people up and get some dubs in non-con play while these inexperienced, 18, 19 year olds are like, Oh wait, we can't just do what we did in high school and just steamroll teams. Oh, 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 dang. Oh dang. I would like a nice November win over them. That would be nice.
1: You, you know, that is a great point by the way. And I, I didn't even think of it like that. I'm still going with Duke, but they bring up an excellent, excellent point. And also, Porqué, and know, those, Dos. why don't we just schedule both?
0: Because big five. <sighs>
1: All right. All right. Next
0: question. We're not touching this.
1: this. Next question.
0: Big five, baby. (laughs) Mike J's got a couple questions here. His first one is, does pineapple belong on a pizza?
1: No. Next question.
0: See, I'm not going to lie. I don't think Hawaiian pizza is that bad. You put some hot sauce on it. It's pretty good. I will say this. I I don't know why the pineapple, like the anti-pineapple on a pizza. Uh, things started like a couple years ago because Hawaiian pizzas have been around for like years. It's not like a new occurrence. I would say people would just put pineapple by itself on a pizza. That's, that's pretty strange. But I do enjoy a, a Hawaiian slice with hot sauce on it. Granted, there are like five other toppings I'd rather have before Hawaiian, but I don't hate Hawaiian. I actually think it's pretty good.
1: I had Hawaiian pizza once in my life, and it was during home ec class in fifth grade when, I, when we had to make it ourselves. That is the only time I'll ever have it, <laughs> and I'll leave it at that.
0: Did you put hot sauce on it?
1: Uh, no, my undeveloped taste buds probably couldn't have handled it. Yet.
0: <laughs> fair, but fair.
1: I, I, can't, I can't believe you said you're okay with it. <laughs>
0: I don't think it's that bad, you know. Obviously, you're gonna have people who are gonna be like, "Oh, chicken doesn't belong on a pizza. It should just be like pepperoni and sausage."
1: No, that's see, like buffalo chicken is like great. That's like a great drunk slice.
0: That's probably one of my top two, top three pizza slices right there. But there, there are people who feel that way. They, they will not eat chicken on a pizza. Uh,
1: boy. Oh, shame! They're missing out. But I guess I'm missing out on the pineapple, according to you.
0: It's not It's not like a top five. Fu- no, actually, it's like a top seven. It's like a top seven slice. Yeah.
1: Top seven?
0: Yeah.
1: All right. You know what I got to ask you? What's your top six then? Real, real quick. Real All quick.
0: right. I'm not going to put it in any order because that's going to take forever that's to do fun.
1: it. Yeah, but, I know. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'll
0: give you six toppings that, that I'll put ahead of it. Uh, Buffalo okay. chicken, <laughs> yep. pepperoni. Okay. Uh, wait, do you want to do you want me to name slices or just toppings? Because now I was about to go like sausage and broccoli rob. Uh
1: just toppings in general.
0: Alright. So let me start over. Buffalo chicken, pepperoni. I'll say sausage. I kind of feel weird, just leave it there, so I'll just say sausage and broccoli rob. <laughs> uh barbecue chicken's pretty good. Uh margarita, that's a great pizza. And <laughs> oh, man, oh
1: man, oh man, oh man, man. You might I, – I have one in mind that I think I know you like that we, we yeah, both
0: yeah. had one, yeah, send one night. Send it.
1: It was a general, general style chicken.
0: See, that was good, but I wouldn't put that in my top six.
1: What? You think pineapple is better than that?
0: No, there's one other topic better than that. There's just in the oh. – outside the club. It's like there's your power six, and then there's the mid-majors, and then there's <laughs> the low-majors.
1: Are you are you calling pineapple the Wichita state of pizza toppings?
0: It's more like a Dayton.
1: Uh, Okay, but I like (laughs) but I like Dayton. (laughs) Uh,
0: Yeah, these are yeah. This is one of my controversial food opinions. Yeah, there is a pizza topping that I'm like blanking that I know I had probably in the last like month. Whatever, you get my point. You get my
1: point. uh, uh, I'm sure the point.
0: Yeah, I can't wait to hear everyone fire at me about pineapple on a pizza. I don't think yeah. look. Like, I don't think like I wouldn't say it's like oh I'm gonna go out of my way to get a Hawaiian, but I won't. I'll say it's not as bad as people make it out to be.
1: Okay, mm-hmm. it's fine.
0: Let's set the record straight. Set the record straight.
1: <laughs> You're just covering yourself so you don't get the mad tweets at you. That's why. I,
0: I do have to acknowledge that a lot of Villanovans are Italian, and I know that they're gonna feel about that. But I've also met a lot of Italians who hate chicken on pizza. I think they just gotta open the open the mm. mind. Open the mind's eye. Open your world view. Oh,
1: open the mind's eye.
0: <laughs> all right. And the second question from Mike J, the Mike Town, Mike Jacobs commander. When will Chris Lane, Brendan Riley, and Catherine Ryan be on at the same time? And Chris Lane added a caveat here where he said, we have to be allowed to curse. These are my demands.
1: I'm all, I'm all for them being on. You're the one who schedules the je- the guests you need. Come on. Like, this is This is
0: – Like, should we have like a – a March like Madness, it. like we fill out our bracket together. Like, there's going to be five of us, so we can break ties. And then we just yeah. debate Debate all day. I'm all for it.
1: I'm all for it. It would be an absolute mess come editing time for you. But <laughs> it, uh, I'm all for it. That or the live show for Selection and Sunday with them. I'm all for it.
0: Live show, Stout NYC. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, Yeah. Yep.
1: I'm telling you, it would be a great time.
0: It would be what the people like. This one is from Chris Lane. All the V Hoopsters are coming out and asking questions now. Chris Lane says, with Mikhail Bridges gone, who is the new Mr. Steel, yo girl on this team? I'm going to say it, and this is probably like the easiest answer, but I'm going with Ryan Archie Diacono Jr., and that's uh, Colin Gillespie. <laughs>
1: Oh I thought you were gonna say Chris
0: Archie. Yeah. Oh Chris Archie Oh, I don't I don't know what his street cred is like, but uh, I'm gonna bet on Collins.
1: I'll retort you actually kind of took mine, but I'll, I'll go with I'll go with Sadiq Bay just because he seems very smooth. so yeah, we'll go with that. Don't really have much analysis behind it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I would be willing to bet that the 1718 squad definitely graduated a lot of shooters on and off the court.
1: Yeah, yeah. Dante. <laughs> Dante. It's Dante is who what you're thinking of, yes. Um
0: not just Dante. Dante. I mean, you know, Dante, Mikhail. I wouldn't be surprised if Jalen spit some game.
1: Yeah. I could see Eric being like pretty good at it too. I don't know.
0: Dante and Mikhail definitely they, they've had a few victory um, laps, I would I would guess. I would surmise. <laughs> uh, this one is from John Palme. Apologies, I've been pronouncing his name wrong the whole time, and he finally pointed it out on a tweet. So now, now we can get the record straight. But he wants to know, for the love of all things holy, can someone please explain to me why we cannot consistently inbound under pressure or break a press? Well, as Jay Wright unveiled so greatly during the Kansas game, the Kansas win, apparently, allegedly, there were only three inbounds plays in the whole entire Villanova playbook. Now, you can take that out however you like, whether it's Jay giving coach speak, whether that's actually the real deal, and that would explain a lot, I don't know. But either way, three, I don't think you have to be a basketball expert to know that that feels a little too low.
1: It certainly is. It's just absolutely ridiculous. It's been going on since I started watching 0506, watching 0405, but Point still stands. It's been going on way too long. I don't know if it'll ever get fixed.
0: Yeah. And in terms of the press, I feel like sometimes when we inbounds the ball, it's exactly who the trap or the pressing team would want it to be against. So it's like, yeah, it's (laughs) going to be like a hard inbounds, but oh, you want to give it to Jeremiah Robinson Earl? I I don't like that's just an example. Or like, you Mm -hmm. know, we're going to give it to a non ball handling person or someone you wouldn't typically expect to be able to dribble past a double team or anything like that and force them to do it. And that's how problems happen.
1: Yeah, just at the end of the ball game, the, the last turnover at the end of the second half was Jermaine Samuels trying to dribble the ball out of a double team. Like That's just the recipe for freaking disaster. Actually, no, maybe that was Jerry. I don't remember. Points of the stance. It. stance. You're right.
0: Yeah, if it's not a, a ball-handling playmaking guard, it's Not going to be a fun time, which is exactly what a trap and a press is trying to do. Make you uncomfortable. So, last question is from Patrick Madden. He says, who on Villanova can stop a point guard that can score? Baldwin is coming to town next week, and if the Wildcats guard him like they did Charlie Moore, it will be a long night on the main line. I'm willing to bet that that ball game was definitely like an outlier game because let's be honest that game was a long night for many reasons not just because Charlie Moore dropped 29 like there were other reasons why it was a long night mm. we have seen Villanova stop point guards that can score pretty well like for example Mac McClung the second half of the Marquette or I should say they did a pretty good job of Marcus Howard like if you look at the shooting percentage it wasn't that great but he got to the he went to the line like a trillion times, so his point total was a lot better than it seemed. yeah, it's
1: i, I I'm kind of in the same boat as you there. I do believe it was a bit of an outlier, um although we did kind of see I forget the guy's name on St. Joe's that went absolutely off, and then we had the guy Ryan Delaware Daly. that went Ryan, Ryan Daly. Daly and then we had the guy in absolute on um, Delaware go absolutely off. So we have seen guys go off against this team so far this year. But then that completely died down right after that Delaware game. I believe we really haven't had a out- uh, bona fide performance from any guard outside of Charlie Moore, at least from what I remember.
0: Um, yeah, because we stopped Devin Dotson. Yep. Stopped. Everyone on Xavier. <laughs> all, yeah, until until the end when they got theirs and, like, garbage time right. to make their garbage stat time. lines respectable. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. Garbage time, though. You're
0: right. Yeah.
1: So – I, I don't know. We'll see. Christian Vitale this weekend will be a good good indicator, I would say, for maybe like a good warm-up for Kamar Baldwin, I guess.
0: Yeah, Kamar Baldwin. As as anyone who's listened to this show, they know I'm a, I'm a big fan of Kamar Baldwin. Yes, huge fan. Huge fan. He did kill us that first year, and that was his freshman year, when Nova lost both games to, the, to Butler. But, like, even then that, I was like, wow, who is this guy? This guy is great. Two-way weapon, Swiss Army knife, and uh, right now him and his Bulldogs, well, I was going to say they're having some success, but they, they hit a little bit of a, a bump last night, a little, mm-hmm. little bit of a bump.
1: Right after we completely forgot about Butler <laughs> in, in terms of Big East contenders, they go out and lose at home, at home to the team we thought would be the Big East contender with Villanova, and that is Seton Hall.
0: Yes. Crazy how that worked out. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I'm interested to see what Nova does against Vital. I think everything will start to correct itself. But I, you know, Nova has shown that it can stop the the big time scorer. Yes, you had guys like Nate Darling go off from Delaware, and that guy Ryan Daly with St. Joe's. But that's that's Villanova defense 1.0. We're on Villanova defense 2.0. This is a new it's a new chapter. It's, it's, <laughs> I don't know what happened, but ever since that Kansas game, it's been like, wow. This yeah. was there all along. They had it in them.
1: And yeah, they flipped the switch, and hopefully it continues. And, you know, UConn's not exactly the best offensive team, as we mentioned earlier. So let's uh, see if the defense can feast.
0: Yeah, pretty inefficient. They do cough the ball up a lot. I just want to see, you know, the main things I want to see Villanova do on Saturday is take good care of the ball, go back to knock, gifting free possessions, and then seeing that defense do a good job. And then also, let's lock down those threes because the UConn Huskies, they've done a great job defending the three-point line, but they haven't seen a team this season that shoots it as much as Nova does. And it looks like the Wildcats are finding their three-point stroke again. So that's, that's always good. That's always good. We're, we're doing a lot better than the 18%. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the State of the Nova Nation. You haven't already, please subscribe to the pod. You can do so on iTunes, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Megaphone. You got many, many options. Just look for View Hoops or State of the Nova Nation, and you should be able to find the show. Be sure to check out the site. We're going to be pumping out articles, content all day, every day. So be sure to check back, check often. Join the game chat on Saturday if you're home. If you're not, Enjoy the game at the Wells Fargo Center. Always booming. And especially with UConn, I think it'll be a, a very good draw. Follow V-Hoops on social media. You can do so at v That's good for Twitter and Instagram. Like the page on Facebook. And please follow me, Eugene Repay, at repay 5
1: I still got nothing. Follow Eugene. Follow the pod. Follow
0: V-Hoops. Nova Nation, have a good Thursday. Have a good weekend. Let's get this one on Saturday. Go Cats.